Hello, and welcome to the Law Deals Podcast, where we discuss law firm succession plans, profitable law partnerships, and law firm purchases and sales. I'm your host, Ed Alexander. I practiced transactional business law for 30 years, have my own practice, Alexander Business Law, and am a principal with Fitzgibbon Alexander, a business intermediary firm. We're on a mission to make sales of law firms commonplace so you can enjoy your practice and your life. Hello, and welcome to the Law Deals Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Alexander. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about goodwill. I'm going to answer the question, what the heck is goodwill and why should you care about it for your practice? So I want you to put yourself in a position. You've been driving all day. You're heading down the interstate. It's in the middle of nowhere and you realize you're hungry. So you're watching for that next sign. You know, those little blue ones that are on the side of the road, you're looking for it. Finally, you find it and it pops up and says, here are the restaurants, McDonald's, Olive Garden, Billy Bob's Bar and Grill, and an Merrill Lagasse restaurant. So what do most people think when they see that sign? Well, first thing they think is they understand what a McDonald's is. They're going to pull in. They're going to get a burger. They're going to get fries. They're going to get a soft drink. It ain't going to be the greatest food in the world, but it's going to be fuel. For the most part, up until recently anyway, they knew that the restaurant would be clean and that they could use the restroom. When they see the name Olive Garden, they think to themselves, okay, this is a sit-down restaurant. I'm going to have a decent meal. I'm going to have a decent experience. The server is going to be polite. The food's going to come out soon enough, and the bill is not going to be over the top. When they think about Billy Bob's, They wonder, hmm, is it a good burger place? Can I get a burger and a beer? Or is it a biker bar? Is it a local hangout? Or do people from the interstate go there? What will it look like? Will it be clean? Will I be able to use the bathroom? Or the bathroom look like a bathroom at a bar? In fact, is it more bar than grill? So that the food is kind of an afterthought? Or is it actually a bar? When they think about the Amaral Lagasse restaurant, they're going to be thinking, okay, this is going to be an experience. It's going to be a high-end restaurant. It's going to cost me money, and I'm going to need to stay there a while. So as you're driving down the road, you see these, and these choices really identify the differences between two types of goodwill. The first is enterprise goodwill, and then the second is personal goodwill. When it comes to enterprise goodwill, That is exhibited by a place like McDonald's or Olive Garden, and frankly, even Emeril Lagasse restaurant. We know what we're going to get when we go in there. It doesn't matter who's behind the counter. It doesn't matter who's cooking the food. At the end of the day, that restaurant has systems and processes such that whether I'm pulling into the Olive Garden in Orlando, Florida, or I'm pulling into an Olive Garden in Akron, Ohio, I'm going to get the same experience. Billy Bob's Bar and Grill, on the other hand, does not have enterprise goodwill. It doesn't have enterprise goodwill because we don't know what's going on. And it's likely that when Billy Bob is behind the bar, the experience is going to be totally different than when Jane Doe is behind the bar. And so I want you to keep them in mind because we're going to talk about law firm and we're going to talk about goodwill in general. These restaurants versus Billy Bob's will show the difference between Creating an enterprise that stand alone, aside from the owner, has 
a recognized reputation, brand, and really goodwill in the marketplace versus a practice or a business that is dependent on the owner, where people come to that practice specifically for the owner. Think for a minute about a doctor. If you had a normal family medicine doctor that you were going to because you had a cold, you might even go to a doc in the box because you have a cold. But if you have a cancer or some other significant medical issue, you're going to want to go to the best of the best. You're going to want to find the best oncologist in the world. You're looking at the person. How are they going to treat me? Not about the practice that they have. You don't care whether they're with Orlando Health or with Advent. You just want that person to treat you. So that is personal goodwill. So in the accounting world, goodwill has a specific definition. It's the amount paid for a business that is higher than the sum of the net fair value of all the assets that were purchased in that business. So it's the amount in excess of the value of the assets and the computers and the chairs and the desks and your conference table and all the other things that a buyer would come in and purchase out of your law firm. If the amount they paid is greater than what you could sell those to that person in bulk for, then there is goodwill in your practice. Every business that is worth more than the sale price of its assets and really the garage sale price of its assets has goodwill. The question is, how much goodwill does it have and is that goodwill transferable to a buyer? So in the business world, really goodwill boils down to value drivers. And I would submit they're like competitive advantages. So brand, is there a niche? Is there a geographic dominance? Going further down, you can look at these as customer relationships, how long do customers stay, what is the nature of the customer relationship. And you can also look at them as marketing systems and processes. How do they bring in new customers? How do they move prospects from interest into a buying position? And then how do they maximize the value of their customer relationships? Production processes, making sure that the delivery of the goods or services is exactly the same for every customer. Management systems, making sure that we have appropriate measures of production, that client services are going on at the appropriate speed. We understand what the metrics are of the business and we monitor those, etc. And then finally, an in-place team, a group of employees that are experienced and trained and perhaps themselves have relationships with the customers. When it comes to law firm sales, most of the goodwill is wrapped up in the relationship of the owner with the clients, referral sources, and team members. The issue here is making sure that after the owner departs, that these relationships stay in place. Because without those relationships and without that structure, there's a huge risk for the buyer. That risk is that the revenue that they're buying because after all, they're interested in the revenue created by your law firm, that that revenue goes away. And if that revenue goes away, then obviously the buyer wouldn't be able to pay for the purchase price of the law firm sale. So buyers will often mitigate this risk by making a portion of the purchase price contingent upon clients continuing forward or perhaps referral sources continuing to refer business. To avoid these types of contingency arrangements, it's imperative that the owner firm up 
the client relationships, the owner, firm up the referral sources. And these are done with a team approach so that the owner isn't the only one doing client intake, isn't the only one selling the clients, isn't the only one providing services to the clients, so that the referral sources understand that the firm applies a team approach to maximizing client benefits and that the team members are happy, trained, and have been there for an extended period of time. So transferring that goodwill in the law firm sale typically looks like the seller becoming of counsel with the buyer. Now, if you recall in the prior episode, when I talked about the three types of law firms, there was the process firm, the relationship firm, and the brain surgery firm. This is most important in the relationship firm for obvious reasons. In the process firm, you're typically going to find that the firm is already run such that the team members are the primary contacts for the clients and for the referral sources as well, and that they're doing most of the intake and doing most of the work. It's in the relationship firm that we see this most important. And then obviously, as I indicated during that episode, selling a brain surgery firm is the most difficult of all because it's not only the relationship, but it's also the acumen and skill set of the seller that created the goodwill associated with that firm. So in transferring this in the context of the relationship firm, it's imperative that the seller enter an of-counsel agreement with the buyer. Now, of-counsel agreements are pretty loosey-goosey in terms of their terms because some of them can require that the of-counsel attorney produce for the firm. Some of them are basic referral relationships and others are advisory relationships. And so for the most part, in this case, we're talking about an advisory relationship where the seller basically is available to talk to clients who need some handholding in their transition to the buyer. And the job is really to do that and to promote the buyer, to make those clients feel comfortable with the buyer's capabilities. Next, it's imperative for the seller to introduce the buyer to referral sources so that the marketing process for the firm continues unabated. And likewise, they need to make sure that the referral sources understand that number one, the seller is staying around for any issues that come up and that the buyer has the seller's full confidence and is completely capable of operating that firm. And then finally, it's also about communicating with team members to make sure that they are comfortable throughout the transition and that anything that comes up that the seller can help the employee transition through it with the buyer. Next, as part of the relationship, the buyer would utilize the seller's name in the firm post-closing. Now, I've assumed here that the seller has his name or her name in the firm name. If that's the case, then this is absolutely imperative. If that isn't the case, this is a bit less important. However, it's important that the seller appear on the firm letterhead as of counsel. Next, we want to make sure that the buyer is entitled to use the seller's name and their name, image, and likeness, frankly, in the buyer's marketing post-closing. That might include a picture of the seller, the seller's name, or even having the seller participate in videos or promotional events with the buyer. These are all important to transfer that goodwill. 
Now, as part of the rules regulating the Florida bar, a notice has to be sent out to the firm's clients regarding the sale. And this would be in the case, obviously, of an outside sale, not an inside sale. And I described the different types of sales in an earlier episode of the podcast. So in the case of an outside sale, the notice has to go to clients and they have to not opt out of the sale. So in that process there, that letter can and should, frankly, advise the clients about the buyer's qualification, that the seller will be available, and that the buyer has the seller's uh, you know, full confidence so that there will be a transition, but at the end of the day, that the seller is staying around to make sure that the clients are protected and that their matters are handled. So all of these things together are the effort to transfer the goodwill and would minimize the need for there to be a buyer post-closing adjustment of the purchase price. So I want to thank you for listening to this. If you have any questions, feel free to drop me an email. It's ed at alexanderbusinesslaw.com. I'd be happy to hear from you and uh, love to answer any of your questions. If you like what you heard, please go ahead and subscribe and uh, give me a five-star review. I would most appreciate that. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon.